right, everybody. Here we are, the inaugural episode of The Weird. Welcome aboard this crazy madcap journey. My name is Riley Stewart. And I am Dan LeJoie. And we decided to get together. Uh, we've known each other for a very long time and do a podcast. What better time than the COVID-19 pandemic? I couldn't think of a better time to sit with you, Riley. You're one of my oldest and dearest friends, someone I always enjoy speaking with, and I'm really looking forward to this. This could be a train wreck. That voice, that disembodied voice, that's Bonnie Robinson. She's our producer. Say hi, Bonnie. Hi, Bonnie. There she is. We're all disembodied voices, though. I know, and that's that's the joy of a podcast. You don't have to look at us because I don't look good today. So this is what we're going to do, folks. Every episode, um, it's going to pass back and forth between Dan and I like a ping pong game. Um, and we're going to be in charge of the topic for the day. This time around, it's my turn. I'm going to start us off. And then next episode, will be Dan bringing a story to the table. So Dan, what kind of stories are we dealing with here? We are dealing with the unexplained, mysterious, macabre um the, those stories that when you hear um, aren't easily explained through science or just common sense. And I'm going to be honest with you, I am a skeptic. So I'm not someone who um, just blindly falls into believing that these stories are true, the common ghost story. I actually usually don't find very interesting. The stories in this that we're trying to focus on, though, are those really weird ones that you you just can't explain properly. Exactly. The impetus for me doing this was when I was a kid, um, I'm a child of the 70s, so naturally my parents had a subscription to Reader's Digest because everybody in the 70s did. And um, my dad, from time to time, would order books, and he would always order me a book that I wanted. And one time I decided I would order this book called Mysteries of the Unexplained, which Reader's Digest put out, and that was my companion book for like an entire year. It's this giant compendium of just mysteries of the unexplained. The title says it all. And I became obsessed with it and it kept me up at night and I love it. And so that's kind of my impetus for this is those spooky, weird stories that just keep us up at night. I remember those too. Like I think actually some of them were from the Reader's Digest. I remember being a kid and first hearing about the Bermuda Triangle. And being oh, yeah. so spooked out by it. And, um, you know, the things like Bigfoot and UFO sightings and things like that, that just seemed so strange. And then when I guess I was a teen, there was the crop circles, which now has been explained and the person responsible for them has come forward. But that stuff always piqued my interest. Is that really explained? Yeah. There's some guy in England, like a farmer who just literally did it for shits and giggles. Wait, what? I thought I didn't think they. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. He explained how he did it. He did it with with um, rope and like anchoring the rope and then going in a circle. And he would go out at night. And he he's known as like in his town as a or village as a practical joker. And he um, he just did it for shits and giggles. And then as it got bigger, he kind of just made it more elaborate. And isn't there crop circles in places other than England? Yes, there's other, yeah, there's, there were copycats, and then there was also, there's like ancient ones, like the, there's markings in a desert in South America um, that are really difficult for us today to explain, and they're ancient. Um, and some people say, well, it proves that ancient astronauts were here helping, you know, civilization 
Um, but that's probably not true. Okay. I didn't know. I know I have to look that up. Maybe we should do a future episode on that. We could. Anyway, do you want me to get going? Sure. Okay, everybody. Here we go. Um, welcome to the mystery of the Mary Celeste. So this is one of the first unexpected stories that I had ever run across. And I love it because it's spooky on so many levels. So have either of you um, ever been on a cruise? No. I I have. And it's the most boring, god-awful thing on earth. It's it's just made for a certain kind of person. It's not me. Like I, it's made for people who just want to be told what to do. So it's like, you know, eight 30, you go to breakfast at nine 30, there's aerobics at 10 30. There's the casino. Like it, it's, it's just, it's just very programmed experience. I find that shocking Riley, because I know how much you love shuffleboard. <laughs> it's my passion. But if you've ever been on a cruise, there's something about the sea at night in the dark. And it's just such a creepy, weird feeling because you're so far from land. So anyway, um, the Mary, the Mary Celeste, this is the story. I have to take you back in time to 1872, December the 5th to be exact, which I looked up and December the 5th, incidentally is also world soil day, <laughs> which sounds like a really amazing event. It's the day celebrating the soil. I'm going to put that on my calendar and actually celebrate that this year because I've been, I've been missing it. And it's also the day that good old Walt Disney was born, who now owns most of your entertainment dollar. He's dead, Riley. Well, posthumously. But anyway, Walt Disney born December the 5th. Or is he? <laughs> oh, don't start that. Oh, no, no, no. No, we're not going down that rabbit hole. He was frozen. <laughs> so there's a British ship uh, at sea called the, the De Grazia which translated from Italian means by the grace of God. It's 400 miles east of the Azores. And the crew of the ship, the lookout, spots a ship adrift. And as they get closer, they identify that ship as being the Mary Celeste. It's a ship they know because it had left New York City eight days before them. And it should have already arrived in its destination, which was Genoa, Italy, which I have actually been to. Now, the weather had been really bad for a few days, so the journey wasn't as effortless as it should have been. So everybody was a little bit late, but they shouldn't have been eight days late. So the, the uh, crew of the De Grazia did what any responsible crew would do. They began to hail the vessel. And as they got closer, they noticed that the vessel was listing. So it had obviously taken on a bit of water. It wasn't sailing properly. It wasn't wasn't doing what a, a, a sailing ship should do. And the sails were furled and unfurled, which also kind of didn't make any sense. So there was no reply. So the boat was just bobbing away in the waves. So they, uh, they sent a boarding party over. Now, this is really interesting because this is the first time I knew that that's how they found the Mary Celeste. I always thought that it just kind of sailed into harbor and just kind of bumped up against the wharf. I did. Because I don't know if you remember Dracula. There's that part yes. where the boat shows up and Dracula has eaten everybody on the boat. And they get the boat. The boat arrives in, in London or England in the harbor or whatever. And there's nobody on it. Just that, a coffin, a, a, a thing of dirt. And I thought that's how the Mary Celeste was found. But it wasn't. It was way out in the ocean. Are you with me? I'm listening. Yes. Okay. 
The captain of the De Grazia was a guy named David Morehouse, very responsible uh, seaman, very, had a very good reputation. He sends over a boarding party. So into the boat they go, and the boarding party reports that it felt very strange and uneasy because there was no sound. There was no one to be found. They searched from stem to stern. There's a little bit of sort of navigational talk for you. See, I'm a man of the sea. Riley, you are from the East Coast originally, are you not? Well, exactly. And everyone from Nova Scotia or, or New Brunswick, and even though I didn't grow up there, um, they, it's just in your genes. Like literally your genes? Like you get a, a, like every every year your parents would give you a new pair of jeans and there'd be new nautical terms in the pocket. You'd have to. Take well, and, and because it's, you know, it's New Brunswick, they're worker jeans. So they're from Mark's Work Warehouse or, or a worker supply store. Okay. But anyway, so they explore the ship. All the navigational tables, which are really important if you're navigating a ship, they're the mathematical tables that you use to navigate, are gone. Two of the hatch covers are off and they're just lying on the deck. The one and only lifeboat was gone. It's pre-Titanic, so they didn't have enough lifeboats. There's 3.5 feet of water in the bottom of the ship. And there is a six-month supply of food and water still there, untouched. And the cargo, which is industrial alcohol, is mostly intact, with the exception, I think, of two or three barrels. They look... They can't find anybody. Most of the beds are made or unmade. I think I read the captain's bed was unmade, but his wife and children's bed, child's bed, there was one child, was made. No one to be found. So there had been 10 people on the ship. There were seven crewmen, and the captain of the ship was a guy named Benjamin Spooner Briggs. Don't you love that name? Mm-hmm. I love that, Benjamin Spooner Briggs. It's a soap opera name. Well, he sounds like the guy that could butt in the line at a restaurant. I'm Mr. Scooter-Briggs, and I want a table right now. Yeah. Hello, Jill Abbott. I'm here in Genoa City uh, to ask for your hand in marriage. Because I'm Benjamin Spooner-Briggs. Yes. Screw you, Victor Newman. Is he still on that show? Oh, yes. My mother watches that show. That's really... And I never got that women found him attractive. I don't understand how women found him attractive. But anyway... So, on the ship was seven crewmen, uh, Captain Benjamin Spooner Briggs, and his wife, Sarah, and his two-year-old daughter, Sophia. Uh, that alcohol they were transporting was going to Italy, no surprise there, and they were all missing, and they have never been found. Okay. I'm not done, but that's the right. story. Theories abounded about what actually happened. Mutiny? was the first because it was a mutinous time uh, <laughs> in history where mutiny was common. Pirates as well, because it was a piratic time. So there were pirates, especially uh, in, in waters around that area. Also, of course, because people were like that, sea monsters were also brought up and storms. Giant squid, perhaps. Yes, or the kraken, which is kind of a giant squid, isn't it? The kraken? It's like a... More like a sea dragon squid. Are you sure? I'm not sure. No, I. in fact, I'm basing that off two movies. Oh, it's the Pirates of the Caribbean, isn't it? That's one. And then the other is uh, the original Greek mythology movie from the early 1980s. Um, oh, what's it called? Help me out, Bonnie. Riley. Clash of the Titans. Clash of the Titans. 
where they 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 tie the uh, princess to the stone wall and bang a gong, and then the kraken comes out, and Pericles has to fight. Clash of the Titans, yes. That's Ray Harryhausen film. According to Wikipedia, the kraken is a legendary cephalopod-like sea monster of gigantic size in Scandinavian folklore. It dwells off the coast of Norway and Greenland and terrorizes nearby sailors. So that would be more in keeping with the Pirates of the Caribbean, which of course is Disney. So this all comes back to Walt Disney. I'm just saying it seems a little coincidental. I'm really impressed that you remembered the Kraken from Clash of the Titans. That movie is, I loved that movie, and Medusa terrified me as a child. Is that the one with the little wind-up owl? Yes. I love that owl. That's Ray Harryhausen. He's um, known for those stop-action films. Right. He did, like, Jason and the Argonauts and things like that, yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, I love those, too. I remember it would always be on at Easter for some reason. It was a nice bookend to, you know, um, the Ten Commandments. Okay. So the De Grazia sailed, uh, a bunch of the people from the De Grazia got on the Mary Celeste and sailed her to Gibraltar, which was the closest big port. And of course, everybody got involved, but the British Vice Admiralty, which is really hard to say, investigated over a couple of months, yes. but they could find no evidence of wrongdoings. They had to give uh, the bulk of, well, not the bulk, but a lot of the salvage over to the De Grazia because the De Grazia had found the ship, and so she was given salvage rights. And that was the closure of the first chapter on the Mary Celeste. Now, this story would have fallen into complete obscurity. However, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, of all people, published a fictionalized story about it in 1884, which became a really big thing. You have to think like Victorian Tiger King. Everybody, everybody was reading this and commenting on it. And uh, it brought the mystery right back into the public forum. And everybody was trying to solve it. But nobody could. There were expeditions to try to solve it. There were uh, people interviewing people who had known people on the, involved with the captain. They just tried to uncover every possible stone or turn over every stone they could. They found nothing. Now, interestingly enough, there was a film made about this in our, well, in my lifetime with Bella Lugosi. No. Yeah, I didn't even know this existed. I tried to find a copy and I could not, called The Mystery of the Mary Celeste. And in it, um, Lugosi plays a homicidal sailor who just kills everybody on the ship. Mm. And uh, that was kind of the theory that was proposed, was put forward by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. But we have Arthur Conan Doyle to thank for keeping the mystery alive in the hearts and minds of the public. Yeah, I can tell you some other stuff too. Um, the next chapter on the Mary Celeste is very recent. A really thorough investigation started in around uh, 2002 by a woman named Anne McGregor. This investigation resulted in a documentary called The True Story of the Mary Celeste. Now, guess what? There's a Canadian connection to this whole story. There's always a Canadian connection, but this one's really strong. Because the Mary Celeste was built on Spencer's Island in Nova Scotia. I, I've never heard of it. Well, you don't have to have heard of it. I didn't either. But they opened a shipyards on Spencer's Island in Nova Scotia, and it was the first ship they built. Oh. Listen to this. On the maiden voyage of the Amazon, 
which was the original name of the Mary Celeste. Her captain got sick mysteriously and died. The next captain to pilot the Amazon drove her into a fishing weir in Maine. Later on, she collided with another ship in the English Channel and sunk that ship. So this is the legacy of the Amazon before she was even the Mary Celeste. In 1867, she grounded off Cape Breton, which you have to know. I've been to Cape Breton. Okay. So she was grounded off Cape Breton and really badly damaged to the point where she was salvaged and auctioned as a complete wreck. Hmm. In 1872, she was rebuilt completely from the original skeleton, modified and renamed the Mary Celeste. Very weird. So she has strong connections to Canada, which is where we're living. Mm. But our listeners might not live here. But anyway, we do. And I just think that's fascinating. I just wanted to say that our listeners might be interested to know that Spencer's Island is not actually an island. It's a town. Uh, That makes sense. How does that make sense? It doesn't. It's actually a small town. Do Do you know Spencer's Island, Bonnie, or are you... You've done some research here. I'm just doing some research, um, and I thought, oh, I've never heard of Spencer's Island. Um, And uh, yes, it is not an island. It is just a small town. It's also where Marks and Spencer was founded. That's what I was trying to say earlier, and I couldn't remember. Is it really? No. Riley, do you have more that you want to add, or can I jump in and ask some questions here? No, I I got some more. I got some more. Let's talk about the big theories. So the big theories were the sea monsters. Well, that was quickly disqualified as a theory because the ship was intact. So it would have to be a very delicate sea monster. Which was your nickname in high school. It's it's actually still my online name in certain apps. (laughs) The second big one was pirates. But again, the cargo was mostly untouched. And it was pure industrial alcohol. Right. I didn't know there was industrial alcohol. That's for serious drinkers. It's distilled ethyl alcohol. It's, it's, it's used for cleaning. It's, it's sold for other than beverage purposes, apparently. I bet somebody drank it. I bet somebody did. Well, there you go. Someone drank it. Well, there you go, because the next theory was the crew got drunk and mutinied. But yeah. they interviewed the families of the crew. I told you there was very thorough investigations done, and they found this to be extremely unlikely. The crew were good guys. They were reputable good guys. So that was my next question for you. So these guys had, had worked together. They weren't like a green crew going out for the first time. They were professionals. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the captain, Captain Benjamin Spooner Briggs, uh, he was a very, he had a very good reputation and his crew was equally reputable. So the final one was, now this is a weird one, but it kind of ties in with alcohol, was alcohol vapors. Because alcohol vapors could have killed the crew or made them go mad, but no one smelled fumes when the ship was boarded. And there didn't seem to be a broken barrel or anything where fumes would have escaped. So the ship was abandoned. Why? Like I said, it was in good shape. The captain was experienced, very sane. It makes no sense. Well, I was just going to say, what happens? So you said casks were missing or casks were empty? Two were open and empty. So wouldn't that be it then? Those casks leaked somehow? No, because um, they examined those casks, which were made of oak, I believe. And oak is notorious for leaking and not being sound. Okay. Those particular casks 
could have been prone to leakage. And apparently there were so many casks on it that to lose two wouldn't have been unusual. And maybe that wouldn't have been enough to, it would, I guess it would have to be a lot of alcohol to create enough vapor that would wipe out an entire crew. Well, yeah. And I mean, they would just go up on deck. Right. That's right. And they, they assumed that, like they said, they said, well, maybe somebody got drunk and went nuts and killed everybody. But no, there would have been evidence of that. So they got on the lifeboat. We don't know. I, I'm going to, I would say they got on the lifeboat. We just don't know why they got on the lifeboat. Why did they give up on their ship so early when obviously it could have still been sailed, which is weird because if it's an experienced captain, they got on that lifeboat for some reason. I could tell you a few more details. Please do. Remember the documentary I was talking about by Miss McGregor? Mm-hmm. They used a whole bunch of marine data and top of the art sort of imaging and stuff to try to figure out what happened. So if they had decided for some reason to abandon the ship, mm-hmm. the captain would have done it near land. And that would have been Santa Maria Island, which was the last land that they passed on November 25th. November 25th is the day after the last log on the ship was written. So that could have been possible. For some reason, the captain could have been compelled to abandon the ship because the last log entry was the day after November 25th, which was the day they were passing the closest land they would have passed on the journey. And any good ship captain would have abandoned ship as close to land as possible. Captain Briggs had changed course during the voyage to head towards the island. They knew that. Why did he do that? Was he seeking safety? They don't know. One more thing that they discovered was coal dust from previous cargo may have fouled the pumps because the pumps, one of the pumps on the Mary Celeste when they boarded it was taken apart, was disassembled, just lying there. So coal dust from previous cargo could have fouled the pumps. And when they started taking on water because of the pumps not working, the captain might have overreacted and abandoned the ship. This is very probable. But the improbable part of that theory is they never found them. Yeah. And then why wouldn't he have written that in the log? Right. Why wouldn't he have made some record of it? And why was nothing found? Um, I can tell you about the end of the Mary Celeste. And then that's all I've got. Sailors are very superstitious, as you know, as are my relatives. And they branded the Mary Celeste a jinx. After the Mary Celeste was found abandoned, it was almost impossible for anyone to find a crew for her. She was eventually sold for a ridiculously low price to a large company who ran a scam. And what they did was they sank the ship on a reef off the coast of Haiti in 1884. The captain ran the ship a ground on purpose to get insurance money. And he claimed that there was uh, expensive silverware on board, all of these beautiful things. And when they actually investigated, they found out the silverware was actually boxes of dog collars. So they were going to a bondage event. (laughs) Yeah, so he was actually uh, charged with that. Note something very interesting. After the Mary Celeste was salvaged, everyone who was on it either died or went bankrupt. Hmm. So that immediately solidified the curse of the Mary Celeste. So she was destroyed on a reef off the coast of Haiti in 1884 and found by a National Geographic expedition in 2001. Mm. On that uh, National Geographic expedition was Clive Cussler. Oh. Yeah, Clive Cussler, near and dear to my heart because my dad loves those books. Clive Cussler, big nautical guy. Uh, he was on the boat. 
and they found they found the boat. Um, it's not intact, it's in pieces, but they managed to figure out that it was the Mary Celeste. So she rests off the coast of Haiti to this day. And that, Dan, is the legend of the Mary Celeste. That's very creepy. And that's a good one. Because that, see, to me, like that, I love the fact that there's no simple explanation. There's no scientist in the background. Well, let me actually explain to you using DNA, uh, carbon dating. Uh, it can't be. So it, it, like, in my research for this show, there's so many stories that I've let go because it, there's, uh, like, such a obvious explanation for them. This, there's none. Great story. Yeah, there is none. And it's one of the most famous marine legends to this day. It's uh, absolutely legendary. And there are still people out there who are still trying to figure out what went on. People have searched Santa Maria Island like you wouldn't believe mm. to try to find some trace of what happened to the uh, to the Right, group. right, right. To see if they ended up there. Yeah. I just think it's incredibly unnerving because whenever I, I heard about this story – um, because like I said, I heard about it at a very young age. I was probably eight the first time. I always imagined myself, Riley, coming across a boat, a giant boat, and searching through it. It must be so eerie because there's nobody on it, right? Yes. Do you remember the movie? I looked this up from 1980. It was a TV movie called Death Ship. And it was like this, this people on a, on a, on a cruise ship. And the ship sinks and they're bobbing in the water in their little lifeboat. And this mysterious black freighter uh, emerges out of the mist and they, there's a ladder and they climb on and, and it's like a, like a ghost ship. That's not a, a TV movie. Is it? I thought that was a movie movie. Well, I remember seeing it on TV. It's ghost ship. No, no. Ghost ship is later. But that's exactly plot of ghost ship isn't it not with gabriel Byrne is in it yeah that's like from 2002 i think is it ghost ship that has that amazing opening scene where everybody at the party is cut in half by this cable ghost ships from 2002 and death ship was from 1980 and you mentioned earlier about how creepy it would be being on a ship at night it is on the because it's dark i can I, so i grew up uh going to the family cottage uh, which is located on the Ottawa River in a small town called Luskville. Wait, Luskville? Isn't that where they had the snowmobile races? No, drag races. No, it's known for the snowmobile races, isn't it? Drag races. There's a drag racing track like 10, 15 minutes from the cottage. That sounds super classy. Did you know that one of the only famous Lajoies, other than myself, uh, is Randy LaHoy out of the United States of America? Uh, from Louisiana, I believe, and uh, he uh, he races uh, he races drag cars. He's been up in Canada. I can't believe you just said to me, "Did you know?" <laughs> Who the fuck would know that? Uh, but going back to the cottage, there were a few times where we got caught on the river, and the Ottawa River is quite wide uh, where our cottage is, and um, uh, at night, and everything changes. And it's actually very difficult to tell where the shore is and where the open water is. Mm -hmm. It almost everything just sort of morphs into roundedness. You just see lights, little lights everywhere. I remember feeling very afraid of that. Coupled with that death ship, which is one of those terrible movies I should never have watched. 
uh, if it did come out on TV in 1980, I was only three, and it's very possible that I did see it then. The other thing that that reminded me of, do you remember the commercial from the early 80s, late 70s, that would air in the summertime on CBC television, and it would be a little boy bobbing in the water, and he was calling out for his mom and dad, Mommy! Daddy! And the camera slowly pans up uh, like an overhead shot and go, and you realize this boy's alone and there's an overturned boat. And, uh, and then it's a, it was like a PSA for wear your life jacket. So implying basically that he's now alone in the middle of this giant body of water. His parents are dead and drowned because they didn't wear life jackets. Wear your life jackets, kids. Do you remember that? I don't, I don't remember that. And it's scaring me now. Yeah. It was terrifying. Like I did it to the point where I, like I remember it so clearly. Do you remember the stupid um, little f- instructional films they show you in school about being careful around the snowplow? Yes. Oh my god. Oh my god. Yeah, you get buried alive. There's that one where the kid is playing near the snowbank, near the snowblower that goes by, and you see him slip, and then a shoe. I remember that. It scared me so much. It's just a shoe. That's right. I almost spit up my wine there. Yes, I do remember that. That was horrible. I know. Here's another one for you. And this is, uh, is, it's connected to the Mary Celeste, uh, good listener. I promise. Um, But there was another movie and this was like on a reel. So the teacher had to go to some work to show us this film. And it was all about this boy, a little, like an elementary aged kid being bullied by other kids. And I can't remember all the details except that at the end, he's trying to leave the school to go home and the bullies follow him and he ends up taking a different way home and then has to take a different way because they're kind of following and he just keeps making these turns and he doesn't know where in the city he is anymore. And at one point they're gone and he's completely lost and he's walking through like a park forest type thing. It might be Central Park. And uh, he's like lost and he's bawling. And then the movie ends. And the worst part is, I don't even know. I don't even know what the point of it was other than don't wander off. Even if bullies are chasing you. Like I just, it, it was terrifying. What is else is he supposed to do if bullies are chasing him? Fight them, Riley. You fight bullies. Just like that captain on the Mary Celeste. I hope the end of her journey off the coast of Haiti, where the waters are nice and warm, I hope it's a fitting place for her to spend eternity. That's I don't know. She sounds pretty mean, Riley. <laughs> well, she's had a hard life. You know, if you, if you, if she's like the little boy who gets lost. It's, you know, life, life is going to harden yeah. her. So I, I think we're, we're done. All right. Okay, so that is it for episode one of The Weird. I'm Riley Stewart. And I am Dan LeJoie. And we're so glad that you uh, spent this time with us. And we'll see you again next week. Good night. It's not night. How do you know it's night? Good day.